Lori? Yes, I'm here. Can you hear me? I can. Excellent. <laughs> All right. Well, we, we'll do it we, this way. Okay. We struck gold for your patience and welcome to the Who Gives a Shit Files. And <laughs> we have a very special guest today. And we're going to be talking about obesity. And actually, this is something that people should give a shit about. And I am proud, blushingly proud, to welcome my sister, Lori Kelch. That she is a competitive, compassionate, passionate, intense, and fearless individual who is dedicated to nutrition. My sister would spit in the devil's eye. And that's why I love her. <laughs> Anyways, um, say hi to the to the audience. Hey, everyone! Glad to be here. <laughs> so it's kind of interesting that you know that you can have a sister and you think you know everything about her, and actually, I didn't know a lot of this about her. My sister is a nutrition wellness educator who has got an extensive resume, and I'm going to run down all of her qualifications because they are pretty damn cool. She currently is a holistic nutrition instructor for the Institute of Holistic Leadership. She's certified in holistic nutrition through the Ohio Academy of Holistic Health. She taught at the, she taught health and nutrition at Antioch University for 13 years she was the health and living educator at Dorothy Lane's Market in Dayton, Ohio, which, by the way, we'll put in a plug there. That's a great place. They have great food. Yes, it is. Whole food. It's, it's a beautiful thing. She is, a, um, she is on the health and wellness committee for the Ohio Grocers Association. So she's got an extensive background. And... Lori, can you please, and by the way, she's beautiful. I want to let you know <laughs> I've got a beautiful sister, which makes up for my not-so-beautiful brother. Uh, that, should have been sorry, a, bro that should have been first on, your, on, on the bio yeah. there, Jim. <laughs> it should have been. Uh, sorry, bro. I couldn't help myself. Anyways, uh, Lori, can you tell us how you got into nutrition in the first place? Well, it's always been something that... Um, that I've had an interest in, especially since uh, my very much older brother named Jim um, decided when I was in high school that I needed to lose some weight. And um, I remember one time he brought home some friends from college and good looking guys. And when they left, I told him I thought they were good looking guys. And he said to me, whether or not he remembers this, I don't know. But he said to me, um, you know, they thought you were cute, but you need to lose weight. And so being the fierce competitor that I am, as you mentioned earlier, um, I decided, well, I'll show you. And I did. I lost weight. And that was the first time I realized that <laughs> the foods that we choose are going to have an impact on how our bodies respond. So that was the first thing. And then uh, as I you know, started to, to keep myself in decent shape and so on and so forth, met the guy of my dreams, started a family, and my youngest daughter had a uh, reaction to vaccines and it caused some neurological issues. Um, and then I realized 
as she got older, how important her diet was in controlling um, the neurological symptoms that we saw. So that's, those are the things that really got me into nutrition. Um, and that's, you know, that's how I started. So looking at the value of food um, and, you know, directly connecting everything that we put in our mouth um, and, you know, what it does as far as our body and our health goes. Please tell us about obesity as an issue for this country and this planet. You know, and maybe even maybe I'm sorry to interrupt. Please tell us the issue for obesity on our um, on the United States in the United States versus the planet. Well, of all industrialized countries, the United States has the highest level of obesity per capita. Okay, so um, you know, taking populations uh, relation to the in relation to populations. Um, and I think that there's many, many reasons for this, but let me throw out a few numbers here because I think that these, uh, sometimes we need the stats to kind of wake us up and, and to look at, um, you know, where, we're, where we've been, where we are now, and where we're headed. So in 2018, okay, 40%, uh, about 42% of the, about 42.6% to be specific, of the population, adult population in the United States is obese. Wow. That's, that's almost half. Now, when you look back into prior to 1970, you're looking at 15% of the population. Whoa. So that's how much it's grown. Now, there are, there are significant changes that has happened to our um, food since then. And we can, we can talk about some of those. But here's some numbers. So as of 2018, 40% of the population of adults from 20 years of age to 39 years of age is obese. Whoa. Yep. 44.8% of the population from 40 to 59 years old is obese and 42.8% 60 and plus 60 and over are obese. So, you know, and this again is back from a total of 15% prior to 1970. 20% of children under 18 years of age is obese. Our medical costs are literally in the billions, reaching about um, a little over $150 billion now. But that's only, and, and if you're looking at medical costs, that's only for obesity specifically. It doesn't include um, the chronic diseases that are associated with obesity, like type 2 diabetes and, and heart disease and some forms of cancer, et cetera. So that's where we're standing right now as far as our numbers go. So, and why, why is this happening? Why do we have this trend going on right now? I'm assuming, so I'm sorry, you had 2018 were your latest number. Right. I'm assuming it's not getting any better in oh, 2020. No. It's not getting any better. And it's, you know, I think with the development of technology and how we're moving so quickly with technology, it, it's, it might even get worse. Um, unless we try to come full circle and really look at our food sources, um, how we manipulate our food, what we add to our food. Um, but, you know, I mean, this last, what, year or so with the pandemic, we've kind of put a lot of this stuff on the back burner. And now our focus is, you know, viruses and what are we going to do with those and so on and so forth. 
So whether or not we're ever going to get to the point where we can backtrack a little bit, have some hindsight here and say, you know, this is really where we screwed up and we need to fix it now. Um, I don't see that this problem is going to get any better. How did we get to this point? What happened? Well, there's there are several things that happened. There are two two really big things that happened that actually helped to shape public policy. And for us, we have dietary guidelines um, that are we don't use them much anymore. They were used more, you know, a few years back, but we don't use them that much anymore. But those guidelines were developed. Um, as a result of uh, these policies that came about as a result of certain types of studies that were done. So, for example, um, we know now that back in 1967, actually, the sugar industry paid for and was closely involved with the development of literature that was published in the New England Journal of Medicine that basically stated that it was fat and not sugar in our diet that caused heart disease. And again, what we have to remember is that obesity is directly related to heart disease or heart disease is directly related to obesity. Um, so they, you know, basically downplayed uh, dietary sugar in, in that connection while then highlighting fat and cholesterol as being the source of, of these problems. Okay. Heart disease and, and so forth. So, what happened then is that we ran with this concept, which we here in Western countries have a tendency to do. We kind of get hooked on a, on a concept or an idea or whatever it may be. And we, we kind of run with it, but then we kind of Westernize it. And um, basically what we did with this is we then came up with a theory that then we should reduce the amount of fat in our diet. And again, this was 1967. So looking at reducing the amount of fat in our diet and then replacing that fat with carbohydrates because we still need to have the calories and we're still going to eat regardless. So um, downplaying sugar then, now all carbohydrates, uh, especially in the form of flour and, and sugar break down into sugars, even fruits and vegetables break, break down into sugars. It's a matter of how quickly they do it and how much there is and how much it's going to spike our insulin. But so in replacing these fats with carbohydrates, all we started to do was started to pack on weight because if we're not, um, if we're not utilizing those calories, sugar calories, they will store in the liver as fat. They, they store as glycogen in the liver, which then can be used up really quickly if we have to run out of a burning building or if we're running away from an enemy or we're running away from a wild animal, then we will use those calories up. But being that, we generally aren't running out of, you know, buildings on fire too often. And we're not really running away from our enemies or wild animals anymore. So we're storing a lot more of these sugar calories and they will store as fat. And once the liver is congested enough with these fats, then it's going to start to store under the skin. And this is where we start to see obesity. So we're looking more at the... Um, the combination of, of carbohydrates that we're eating, the amount of sugar that we're eating, and, um, you know, and, and it's based on faulty science. So, um, you know, they, they, um, the, right now, if there are studies going on right now and, and they get reported, 
there's disclosures that have to be done. The journals are now saying, and this is since like mid eighties, that, that the authors and their financial um, association to these studies has to be disclosed. Back then it wasn't. So, and, and, and what are we, what are we, what, what are we finding, what are we finding about, this? about this? Finding about, about the financial incentive. Well, here's, I mean, you know, I, I think it, there is financial incentive for the back then, especially because there was no disclosure, certainly financial incentive for the sugar lobby or the sugar industry to um, pay Harvard researchers. And, and in today's money, it would be about $48,000. It was about $6,000 back then. And mm -hmm. um, so, you know, that's only going to support their profits um, you know, and, and then there's no, uh, you know, there's nothing to, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? There's nothing there. There's no, um, you know, there, there's nobody, there's nobody overlooking this. There was no oversight in these studies. And now there is because mm -hmm. of disclosure, but you still get studies that'll say, for example, dairy is good for you and it's financed by the dairy association or then you get the almond association saying, no, dairy isn't good for you, you should drink almond milk. So, um, you know, you still have those discrepancies in studies. But this particular one, uh, and excuse me, in 2016, um, the Journal of American Medical Association then disclosed that this was um, a paid for study and that this really doesn't hold water when you're really looking at um, real life. So, um, you know, the problem is, is that we haven't, okay, let me back up, sorry. Our dietary guidelines then started to recommend that we eat low fat, that we start replacing meat with pasta, and that we're um, looking at adding more cereals and grains and that kind of stuff to our diet and getting rid of things like bacon and eggs because supposedly they would clog our arteries and eventually, you know, cause heart disease and kill us. Um, and that couldn't be further from the truth. So uh, that's one of the things that happened. And the problem is, is that we're really slow in dispelling these studies that um, don't hold water anymore. Why that is, mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, you know, when we look at the number of people who have died from heart disease uh, since 19, let's say 1970, um, what do we do? We go back and say, whoops, we goofed, but that's what we did. The, the mm -hmm. other, there was another landmark study uh, that was done years ago, and the, the data was collected back in the late 40s and early 50s by a guy named Ansel Keys. And he did some observations himself in some of the European countries. And he came up with a, and it kind of is a long involved thing, but he came up with a hypothesis that countries that ate more um, uh, saturated fat and animal products were fatter and less healthy. So, and had a you know, higher incidence of heart disease, so on and so forth. So he presented his findings of seven countries and um, indeed his hypothesis held true with those seven countries. But come to find out, and there, the National Institute of Health, uh, there was a guy um, who did uh, researcher for the National Institute of, Institutes of Health and actually ran across some raw data that kind of showed that, that 
the information that Ansel Keys was putting out there wasn't 100% accurate because he actually had um, access to the data from 22 countries. And so basically what he did was kind of cherry pick those countries that he was going to use in his study to prove his hypothesis. And there were a couple of guys in the late 50s that were statisticians and they started digging into all this and they they published in the what was then the New York State Journal of Medicine and they, you know, they basically said they went back through this. Um, they saw that the data was available for 22 countries. They saw he didn't use that data. And what they found is that countries that even even 40% of their calories came from fat, primarily animal fats at the time, um, had extreme variations in cardiac cardiac death rates. So that's Lori. Lori, yeah. for uh, what does uh, that, that mean? Extreme variations. And by the way, can you move a little your computer around a little bit? I'm getting some feedback. Okay, is it better? Let's see. Yeah, that's okay. Much better. It's closer yeah. to me. I'm. I'm. When I talk about this stuff, I have to use my hands. So I had to move my computer back a little bit so that it didn't knock it off the table. Okay. You always were a big gesture. I am. Person. I'm a big, big gesture person. So extreme variations, meaning you could look at somebody, an individual who has 10% of their diet being saturated fat and suffer heart disease, or somebody who's 40% saturated fat and, and suffered heart disease. So, but the person whose diet is only going to be 10% fat, chances are they're going to have a higher carbohydrate diet. So, and when I talk about carbohydrates like this, I'm not talking about vegetables and fruit. I'm talking about um, refined foods, things that we buy in packages, when we go out to eat, um, you know, all of, all of that kind of stuff, the more convenience foods and so on and so forth, you know. Um, so that's what I'm talking about. So those two things right there. So you've got this, um, you know, it's, it's really, we need to flip this all around and we need to say, no, it's not the fat that's making us fat. And yeah, it's the added sugar in our diet. That's really causing the problems that we're experiencing. So what should, let's start with the individual. What should the individual be eating to, Let's assume that uh, to avoid obesity and to mitigate the obesity that they current have, what should people be eating? Well, it's not even, uh, it's, it's both what we should be eating and what we shouldn't be eating. Um, and okay. no, you know, we, we all know that you don't want to sit down with a package of Oreo cookies and shove the whole package in your mouth. That's not going to help. It's going to make you feel awful and it's going to put on weight. Okay. Those are, I mean, we know that it's common sense. But what we don't want to do is we don't want to substitute artificial sweeteners for regular sugar. Um, because mm -hmm. even though they're, uh, you know, artificial sweeteners may not have calories in them, when we eat something, the body wants calories because we eat for fuel. So if we are eating something that has no calories, but the level of sweetness is two to 600 times sweeter than sugar, the body is still going to get the message that it needs to store calories in the liver because that's what sugar t does. It, um, what we taste on our tongue actually directs different parts of our body, different organs in our body to do different things. So when we eat sugar, the liver is instructed to store some of those calories again, if we need to you know, run away quickly or whatever we need to do. 
it's going to do the same thing with something that's 100, 200, 300 times sweeter than sugar, but may not have the same calorie content. So let me see if I I understand this. Can you also also move your computer around a little bit? Because I'm, there we go. So, so your, so your body tastes, your tongue tastes sweetness and the artificial sweeteners are so much more sweet that it triggers the liver to start storing carbohydrates. It starts to store fat because that's how carbohydrates store in the liver. They store as glycogen, which is fat. Yes. Got it. Okay, good. Exactly what happens. So we should be avoiding, number one, we should be avoiding any sort of artificial sweetness. Absolutely, we should. We should pretty much be avoiding any types of, quote, foods that are man-made. And artificial Mm -hmm. sweeteners are man-made. Real food, right? Real food. Now, here's, here's what I tell my students. This is my mantra. And I repeat this many times during, during any courses that I teach. And that is, we are what we eat eats. So, for example, here's, here's one of the other things that I think has, has really um, tweaked our, our um, health in terms of obesity, diabetes, and, and heart disease and everything else, is that we no longer raise animals the way that they were meant to be raised. So if we're eating beef, for example, or we're eating dairy products from cows, originally now when you and I were kids, um, you know, they were primarily fed on grass and hay so that they were pasture fed, they were roaming, they got to eat what was out there and they ruminate the grass. And in mm-hmm. rumination, we've all seen cows ruminate, you know, they're chewing their cud. Um, and in doing that, it's actually creating bacteria in their system that then gives, creates the nutrients that we get when we eat those products. Interesting. So, so we're talking bacteria helps us out absolutely. by giving us nutrients. Absolutely it does. Absolutely it does. Gotta love that. And there's a number of nutrients, and we'll, we can talk about this in a different podcast, but there's a number of nutrients that actually are developed through that bacteria. That's a really, that's an interesting mm-hmm. one too. But here's the deal. So those cattle that are, that are grass-fed and grazed create a lot of omega-3s in their meats. So, and omega-3s are going to be, these are the good guys. These are the same guys that you're going to get from wild fish. So they're creating a lot of good omega-3s and a minimal, they have a minimum amount of saturated fat. But when we started these conventional feedlots, because we needed to get more meat out there, we needed to get it quickly. And it brought in a lot of money for these, you know, the people who sell beef, um, they, we started feeding them grain. So they're eating primarily corn and soy. You can actually Google up photos of um, like factory farms and, and that kind of thing. Um, and it's pretty brutal when you take a look at what's happening to these cows. But anyways, so cows that are raised on grains create more omega-6s in their meat. Mm-hmm. Omega six, and those are bad. And those are omega bad guys? sixes. You know, if we're gonna eat omega sixes, we want them from things like nuts and seeds that naturally occur. Mm-hmm. When we get it from meat, they are highly inflammatory in our bodies. Really? So we are. If we think we're eating, so if we if we're eating a steak and it's a lean steak, but it's coming from conventionally fed cows, not grass fed and pasture fed. 
then there's more of a chance of it promoting inflammation in the body much more than if we're eating a steak from something that is grass-fed. So we eat, so we regular, eat food. regular food. Am I, am I, am I are you hearing feedback, are you hearing feedback no. from me? Is there an no. echo? Okay, good. Maybe it's just won't, uh, maybe it won't record like that. So what should people, so people should be eating fruits and vegetables and plant-based proteins? We should, Is that well, good? we can do that. I'm not saying stay away from meat. I'm saying be, be real picky in the animal right. foods that you choose. So we and is, would that be the same thing as, like, say, wild salmon versus Absolutely. farm salmon? Absolutely. Okay. No doubt. We are what we eat eats. So if we are eating animals that are being fed foods that are unnatural for them in their natural habitat, then it's going to, you know, it's going to manifest itself in our health. So that makes perfect sense. Now, what what should um, the government do? <laughs> If anything about this, I, I heard you laugh there, but what should the government be doing and are they doing anything to address obesity and the type of food we eat? Well, um, they're probably not doing a whole lot. There's a lot of money um, involved. You know, we are, I mean, we're a capitalistic country. Things are for profit. Um we are still basing government recommendations on faulty science. Um, I'm not sure that they're going to do a whole lot. If, if it were me and I was the government, what I would do is I would step up to the plate and say, you know what? We blew it big time. And this is what we need to be doing. I would restrict food additives, but we're not doing it. And here's a perfect example. So if we buy a conventional bacon that is preserved with nitrates, which many of them are, what, what nitrates do is they preserve primarily the color in the bacon because who wants to eat gray bacon, right? So, and it's not just bacon, it's other processed meats, but it's going to help preserve that color. We've known since the fifties that nitrates cause cancer. We've known that. This yeah. is, we, we know it, mm -hmm. but because food manufacturers put pressure on the government to continue to allow them into food, because again, nobody wants to eat gray meat. We've allowed it to be on the market. But the thing is, is I know this, um, and you may know this, but not all, I but do not, now. not all consumers study these things. You know, this is, this is, this has been my, if, and if I wasn't into this, if I was into something totally unrelated and never studied it, I may not know that. So, yeah. you know, education is really important, but we really need to back off of what we're allowing in our food chain because there's other countries where, you know, they're on a single payer system for their medical system. And there are certain food additives that, that we can use or even chemicals in the food that we can use that they have outlawed or uh, just don't allow in their food sources because they know that the consequences to health is something that they're going to have to pay for in the future. And it will break their governments Interesting. to do that. Interesting. Well, we're just about running out of time here. And... I really appreciate you coming in here. 
So people should eat real food. Is that we correct? Should be eat- real we food. should be eating real food and we should really um, avoid things that are added. It, read a label. Don't get hung up on numbers on a food label. Read the ingredients. If you don't understand Got a it. word, put it back and don't eat it. Better yet, don't buy food that has a label like that. Buy food that's whole and real. And, you know, we'll, we'll, another topic that we need to get into, Jim, is the microbiome and how that's related to chronic okay. diseases, because that's a, that's, that's another good one that we could uh, continue with today, but we won't. So, but this has been fun. It's been great. So you, read a label. so you read a label, you read a food label, and if it sounds like a chemistry class. Avoid, avoid it. it. Absolutely avoid it. Yeah. There's, uh, and we can, we can do a sure. whole thing on food labels. Yeah. Yeah. Good All right, stuff. Lori. Well, this is, I want to thank you very much. You're my first guest and I'm just blushingly <laughs> proud of my sister. I'm blushing more colors than an Irish rainbow right now. And I love this. Thank you very much. And we are going to be doing a lot more podcasts with you on different subjects because this is Great. very informative. Sounds good. Okay, Jim, thank take you. care.